<laughs> Hello, everybody. My name is Jesus. And I'm Andre. Another episode of the Let's Go to the Movies podcast. Uh, we have another guest today, actually. Um, remember, everyone, if you want a chance to be featured on the future podcast, just follow the link on Andre's TikTok and uh, follow us on Instagram, lgttm.podcast. Uh, again, without further ado, uh, hi to our guest. How are you? Would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, um, I'm Kendra. I'm from Portland, Oregon. Um, like everybody else, I discovered you guys through TikTok, and I was, like, really excited. Um, I I say I'm, like, pretending to be a filmmaker because I'm, <laughs> I don't feel like I deserve to be called a filmmaker yet. Um, I've done, like, a couple short films um, and, like, worked on other people's films, but um, still, like, getting into it. Uh, I've been studying cinema for like the past three years, but it's like a lifelong thing, of course. Um, so I see you and Andre have something in common then. Uh, yes. Which thing do they say? <laughs> the filmmaking? <laughs> yeah, and the, and the, the other. Uh, did you say you were going to film school? Or? Yes. I, like yeah. not currently because of okay, COVID. Gotcha. But, yeah. yeah. Perfect. Yeah. And so, uh, as the title suggests, this week we're talking about the French New Wave. And so the movie that we're talking about this week is, I would say, one of the most popular ones from that genre, or at least because of all the film classes I've taken, it is just the one that I recognize the most for the name when regarding this specific genre. But it's Agnes Valdez, Cleo from 5 to 7. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So to begin, I just, uh, as usual, we're just going to kind of get what everyone's thoughts of this movie were. I mean... Kendra, for you, it's going to be like, I don't even know how many times you've seen this at this point, but yeah. um, you, so you'll have more of a, prof not professional, but more of a solid opinion on it. Uh, but Jesus, I think this is, must be your first time seeing it. It is indeed. It is indeed my first time. Uh, Kendra, since this is the movie you chose, uh, do you want to start out with your uh, initial thoughts? Why, why you like this movie so much? Yeah, so um, I discovered uh, Agnes uh, like like three years ago. Um, I like the first film I saw of hers was La Pointe Court, which was her first film, and then I like immediately got obsessed with her and watched like all of her films and um, Cleo from Five to Seven. I I knew it was important, so I didn't want to watch it until I could see it in the theater, and I got so lucky. Um, cause they screened it at the Hollywood theater here in Portland, which is like a like world renowned theater. Cool. I don't know why. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and, uh, actually it's like kind of funny. I think the reason I love this movie so much is because when I went into the theater, I had this like really special experience. Everyone in there was super drunk and they were all like <laughs> cinema people. Yeah. And I sat next to this guy who was, he just like kept leaving to go get another drink and go to get another drink. So he kept getting more drunk throughout the film. Dang. But there are certain parts in the film where like other people are talking or for some reason they like don't um, give subtitles for certain things. I don't know why. Yeah. And he yeah. would, or yeah. like for the song or whatever. And um, he would translate little things to me here and again and i would just be like oh <laughs> like oh <laughs> and so uh i remember just like really like romanticizing that film and like watching it over and over again mm. and um yeah and agnes like she's my favorite filmmaker so that goes to show why this film is so important to me um you know she's just like she's incredible she's so beautiful mm. and like so loving and like like i said to you guys earlier i feel like i like when you really love her work, you start to have this like feeling like you know her, which is really yeah. weird, but she's like so much in her film. So it's hard not to feel like this like connection with her as a person. And um, so yeah, that's that's my love story with, with Varda. <laughs> nice. That's great though. Yeah, I'm interested uh, to yeah. hear what your experience was like watching this for the first time. Cause um, this is also the first varda film that you've seen right jesus uh in general yes i um <laughs> again i'd like to reiterate i i consider myself more of a hobbyist when it comes to movies instead of like anything else so i've never actually looked into like uh filmmakers or like really like eras of the thing in time so i will say it was kind of culture shock seeing like this uh like an entirely new 
genre of movies basically that I've never seen before. And the thing just like um instead of like going to a sort of blockbuster approach that most of these movies today do, like they go for all the, the showy stuff, there's CGI, there's like they do the deep stories and then they want to do like this groundbreaking everything. Um it's really interesting to see like a movie that in itself like it, it's just like they see it as a piece of art. Like that's what it is. Instead of like something that you just sit there and watch and like, oh okay, that's that's cool. This is an interesting movie and stuff like that. It's more of an experience than uh, than anything else I'd say compared to other movies. That's yeah. such a cool takeaway too, because I feel like Agnes and like all of the people in the French New Wave and like a lot of filmmakers have that like approach with it. And Agnes mm-hmm. called it uh cine writing, which is basically like auteur theory. Which I don't know if you, you are familiar with that, but of course it's like it's like the idea that um, the director is the writer and the costume designer and the set designer and Got it's you. like okay. has a hand in everything because it is yeah. their work of art, you know. Yeah. So the way that they like approached film and the way that they studied film back then was so like like they were like the cinema was like a a church or like a temple to them and like that was their way of like almost like worshiping is what at least the way that Agnes like puts it across Mm -hmm. so it's kind of cool that that's what you got just from like your first like dipping your toe in you know because that's totally the point and that's I think that's what they what they're going for um Andre did you uh you said that you did know this movie before before she introduced to us right uh how did you what was Um, your introduction to the movie yeah for me it was basically I've taken at this point three classes where we've talked about this film. And mm-hmm. so that doesn't mean I've seen it three times though. Because in one of the classes, yeah. he didn't show us for some reason. Mm-hmm. We're just like, oh yeah, no, we're not gonna do the screenings for the movies in this class. You just have to you just you just talk about it? Yeah, he's like, we either talk about it's so like, boring. We basically just kind of assumed that we would watch it on our own, but we didn't Oh, okay. It's very limited ways to watch a lot of the older films that we were meant to. Yeah, so I, I never noticed that. Down to it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was worried about that. I was like, oh no, I should tell them. Like, it's hard to find. <laughs> yeah, so, I found this really sketchy looking website, but I mean, other than that, it, it was completely fine. Like, is um, was, no, you mean that we are using completely legal? Uh, uh, by sketchy, by sketchy, I mean completely legitimate and <laughs> um and legitimate. Yes, <laughs> perfect. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, like with the classes I took, it was kind of, um, I mean, at that point in time, it was, I was still kind of getting into film classes. It was like my first semester with almost all film classes. And mm-hmm. that was already kind of a shock because it was kind of like, oh, this is how I'm forced to watch movies in this way now. I can't just watch it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to put the analytical eye on it no matter what. So in one of the classes where I actually had to watch the film or mm-hmm. not had to, I should have for all of them, but we were given a screening to go to. Yeah. Um, that was a very interesting experience. It was over a year ago. So I don't exactly remember the specific feelings that I had watching it, but I just also remember thinking that it was one of the most enjoyable films to watch at that specific time for that course, because it was, not a very easy course to digest. It was a course on French cinema and mm-hmm. we watched a lot of kind of shocking films that came from uh, eras earlier than the French New Wave and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were slowly making our way to the current era and that was one that we finally watched for the New Wave. And I must say it's a beautiful film. I absolutely love it. Um, there's, I have notes upon notes that I'll, probably throw in here and there throughout the episode mm-hmm. just because i just pulled up old stuff from my classes and i'm like oh i remember yeah about this scene that we talked about in class oh i remember about this specific scene and but it's yeah overall a very interesting like just genre and era of film too like it's mm-hmm. this is very much like the quintessential new wave like this movie like there's a bunch of other ones that I have seen parts of, but the only one that I've seen fully as well is uh, Breathless by Jean-Luc Godard. And that one is also, it, that one also blew me away in many different ways. I found it more frustrating to watch just because characters were, 
I think meant to get on your nerves in certain ways, but yeah, it's still very similar vibes. And so it was really kind of cool to go back and watch this one again in a different setting. And then, yeah, because uh, again, uh, that begs the question since you did, you said you saw it, you were introduced to it through school, right? Yeah. Um, do you ever get the thing that's like, uh, if you, if you, if you're introduced through something through school and like, if it's a topic that you genuinely like, school kind of ruins it, you know? You know what I mean? In because like, ways, yeah. yeah, if it's a book. So, um, I'm curious to know that because since you were, again, actually both of you were introduced to it through school, uh, was it any different since Andre, you are fluent in French? Was it any different watching it like the way it's supposed to be intended versus with subtitles? Oh, and same that's thing with you, so Kendra. Like, yeah, do you yeah. Did, did you think there was any wow. sort of uh, disconnection between you and the movie because you had to watch your subtitles and because not everything was subtitled? Or, gosh, I mean, I'm interested to see since you're fluent in French to see what you might have noticed because yeah. I've had a lot of conversations with people where they're like, "Oh no, Cleo is fine at the end," and I'm like, "No, Cleo has two months of fucking chemotherapy. She's yeah. not okay." <laughs> And it's actually because the subtitles are different depending on what movie you watch. Yeah. So yeah it's yeah. really important. Yeah. Or what that version of the movie you're watching is. Oh yeah. God. And that's like the biggest part of the story. That's like that's the like main the thing, thing, you know? The whole thing is the moment when she finds out. So that's ridiculous. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But then again, I guess I'll like to explain kind of my thoughts on the subtitles, but like I can understand why that can, why that switch in subtitles could be made because the doctor at the very end of the movie isn't like morose or solemn at all he's like almost jovial telling her that oh you have to do chemo now pulls it's up in like, his freaking car and he's yeah. just like yeah casually <laughs> like it's gonna be fine you'll have two months of chemo you'll be good and it's like that it could also have been just it might have to do with just some type of theme or symbol or something with how casual he is about it we'll get into that later maybe but just kind of seeing that it's it, it's understandable if the subtitles got kind of askew to lead people in that direction. But um, with my experience, though, like I am entirely uh, fluent in French, but uh, my family on my father's side from Quebec in Canada, so it's a different uh, kind of French than that from France. So in certain scenarios in film, the subtitles even help me kind of understand what the characters are saying, too because it's a completely different dialect that I'm not really as well versed in. Like I know some people from France, but that doesn't really help me. Um, but so it does kind of lead me in the direction where it's like, oh, okay, I can hear the phrases. I know what they're saying, but seeing like the subtitles makes me kind of put everything together and be like, okay, yeah, I am hearing things correctly. But there are some moments in there like what you were saying, Kendra, that like the subtitles are wrong. And that's really when moments, moments that like jump out at me because I'm like, that's not what they said. And it, it like really becomes jarring. Well, for me at least as like a French speaker. So it's like, there was one moment I even remember watching. They, she mentioned something. She was talking, Cleo was talking to Antoine and she said something about why are you focused on or you're sounding like all these uh uh trivialties or something like that or some word that has to do with the banal or something like that but what she was actually saying was referring to this old fable writer from france and they just took that out like that reference to this fable writer who is well known to like any french speaker because he wrote a ton of famous like fairy tales and not fairy tales but fables and stuff like that and they just said oh no you're talking in trivialties and like that doesn't fit at all that's a completely different thing so that's moments like that is frustrating almost because it's like i they put the effort into subtitle everything else almost perfectly but then they just drop a bunch of stuff that's like local references or references to french culture I feel cheated. <laughs> I feel cheated. Uh, then, yeah, that's the same thing with Kendra. Uh, like, she, since you've seen this the movie so many times, um, I, like, I mean, I've seen like, like all of Agnes's 
films. So I'm like, my brain is just like, how much do I not know? You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, there is like Agnes speaks English. So she does have like conversations and in some films they're in English. Um, okay. But like thinking about all the things that she might have, cause they're all written by her too. So, um, and I think she's also very particular about what details she puts into her films. So like, a reference like that to a French writer is not an accident. Like she's very, yeah. very particular and very detailed. Like she would put um, this like painting up around set that was a, uh, that was, um, let me see, uh, a painting by uh, some guy, Balding Green, I think. Uh, okay. And um, she would like put that up around set because it was the painting that like inspired the film. And like you can see it, it's like the teeniest detail and you don't even know, but it's like important. Or like there's just like all of these teeny tiny little details that I think she just put in for herself. So it's, it's, right. it's fun to like dive into those things and kind of like try to see what she like meant by putting this in or like what this thing may be from because it's usually something important to her so now i'm like well fuck like <laughs> should i not get to find out unless i learn french you know i feel like there's <laughs> more that you definitely caught than what you missed like there's that was yeah, just definitely. one specific moment that really jumped out at me but that i really would have been frustrated more if there was other references like that that got left out but i clearly wasn't i at least i only noticed that one but i'm sure that i'm sure that you've got like 95 percent of the movie down there's just a few moments <laughs> that get screwed up i'm sure cool <laughs> well what was uh did you cover like what your feelings were about the film because i know you talked about like how you found it but what do you um andre like what do you oh. feel about like what was your did you rewatch it this week i rewatched most of it I was just so busy with a bunch of other things. I was like, I watched the first 50 minutes and then I skipped a section that I knew pretty well. And then I watched the ending again. So there were, yeah. So there was Fair. kind of rewatching it though. It was, it was interesting. Cause I was kind of reviewing the thoughts I already had when I was watching it for class a year ago. And then observing like new things that I hadn't even considered just because I didn't have to look at it in a context of I have to end up writing an essay on this at some point in time. <laughs> so I could kind of just keep my eyes out, keep my eyes peeled for other things other than the one topic that I was wanting to write about. And so that one, that made me kind of, that made me enjoy it a lot more. So like the second time around, well, second and a half or partial rewatch this time made me three quarters there you go yeah made me appreciate it like all the more it's I, th I think it's a beautiful film in all parts like the the music especially in um the one scene with cleo singing it's just tears you apart oh yeah. my goodness every time i get to that moment it's yeah. just oh so difficult but like you you feel it and it's interesting because yeah. it's yeah, well, it's, that's also, like, the climax of the film, which is, like, not normal. And, like, the French New Wave is, like, so that way that they just, like, you know, scribble up all all the normal, like, plot yeah. points that yeah, you that's usually one thing I noticed. Like, you were talking about Yeah, Brooklyn. everything was just kind of, like, like really smooth. Yeah. There's no, like, one specific part that was, like, oh, that's, like, that's that's what it was building up to or anything. It's, it's always just, like, the smooth ride all the way to the end. Totally. It's it's really interesting, though, that you mentioned that that scene kind of being like the, the heaviest scene for you, because um, I, I feel like a lot of people uh, uh, had, like don't really hear this from Varda, like in her own words. But of course, I've like listened to like every interview there I could possibly find. But that that scene is actually smack dab in the middle yeah. of the movie it's like 45 minutes before 45 minutes yeah. after and that scene basically everything up until then she's she's having people look at her and she's looking at herself through like other people's eyes and the way that they see her so there's like her maid and and they all kind of love her but they also are like using her kind Absolutely. of in different mm -hmm. ways and it's like it's the best way I could put it is like it's male gaze for the first 45 minutes. Um, 
And then, like, at, when she sings that song, it's just, like, it's just too much. Like, her pain, like, her fear and her pain, like, wakes her up. And um, after that, it's this transition where, like, there's no more... Um, like what's it called a uh, voiceover she doesn't look in the mirror as much i think she doesn't once and then she like gets tired of it rips off her hat and she's like i'm not gonna look in the fucking mirror anymore and from then on she's looking out at the world and that's kind of the message of the film I damn think. it you took one of the main points that i had from the class <laughs> notes <laughs> And, uh, Sorry. I, I, that. I, uh, I've seen it all over the internet because yeah. people are like, "Oh, it's such a deep, meaningful word." But it's, it, I think it fits so well with the movie. It's, um, I just, I just looked it up right now. It's a word, uh, sonder. You ever heard of it? Sonder. It says no. the realization that each random passerby is living a life as vivid and as complex as your own. That's two existential crises right now. <laughs> So it's like, I don't know. There's something about like, like, like that's totally what she's yeah, doing. It's like, it's yeah. like everybody else. Um, whenever she seeks the comfort of other people and stuff, like, uh, like, are they? What's their relationship, by the way? Him, uh, her, and uh, and the dude, uh, the so husband, or? Are talking about Jose or Antoine? Jose is like the guy that kind of takes care okay. of her before Antoine's who she meets at the okay. end. Well, yeah, everybody. So are we talking yeah, about everybody sees, uh, Antoine, the soldier? Like, Wait, what? Are you talking <laughs> about the soldier at the very end of the movie, or? No, I'm talking about yeah, the guy that's always busy. The um, oh, okay, yeah, he's like, oh, okay, yeah. I don't really have any time. And then he kisses her and goes, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. He, um, it's like it's like that's the thing. She she's seeking this um, like this sort of like personal connection with somebody. Like she wants somebody to make her feel better, but since everybody else has like their own thing to have, they have to deal with and everything else, she feels like she's alone. But she's really not alone because, like, she's intertwined with all of these people's lifestyles and everything else like that. But it just, like, with what she's going through at that moment, it's just, she's isolated, basically. That's whenever she sees everything, like, in her own light and stuff. That's I think that's why there's so many mirrors everywhere in the movie. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and, like, the the thing with, um, with that guy who I think is just, like, her partner at the time and her maid and, and the people before then is that they i think i think what i mean at least what i think they they're meant to be are like people that don't truly like see her they see her in like the ways that they want to see her so like her partner kind of just sees her as this beautiful you know thing that he gets to enjoy and come and kiss for five minutes but then not actually like spend time with her and she never tells him about her sick and her illness that she's been spending her whole day freaking out about and her maid like it seems like they have a loving relationship but then in her voiceover she's like talking shit about cleo and saying this like she's like such a drama queen but she's like a child i have to take care of her you know um i think shortly after that scene that you're talking about like in the coffee shop like they're sitting in cleo's apartment and then the maid don't remember her name right now but she's like sitting in a rocking chair and then cleo's sitting in a swing in the middle of the apartment it's like literally a child in the maid's eyes now like the old woman in the rocking chair versus the child swinging on a swing it's like oh my god you couldn't be more direct than that. gosh i never yeah it's like a just a juxtaposition i never thought of that but yeah like there's so many moments like that that i was just I thought were just so perfect the um the whole thing about mirrors too like you're saying kendra that the everything is at the for the first 45 minutes cleo oh my god cleo is uh looking at herself in the eyes of how other people would see her so like in the mirror just in different ways like the camera is always kind of observing her at a distance or very up close and stuff but then at some point in the second half um, one of her other friends just breaks that mirror. So it's like almost as if her vanity is just gone mm-hmm. at this point, which is just another very clear metaphor, but like very, very beautifully done too, because it's, she just suddenly says, oh, this is an omen of death. You broke the mirror. And so it's like another wake up call. And then it's, it turns out, oh yeah, very could well have been an omen of death because we don't know what happens to her at the end. So 
is already death because she, um, I mean, like, I hate to bring witchy stuff into this, but uh, I do like use tarot cards a teeny tiny bit. And I know a little bit about what they mean. And those tarot cards that they have, like the tarot reader was even saying in the beginning, like death doesn't necessarily mean death. Don't freak out. Don't yeah. freak out. Because it doesn't. It means like the dying of an old like story or an old an old version of yourself and then transforming into somebody new and so when she's like oh it's an omen of death yeah Yeah, like it just it just kind of i mean to like repeat what you're saying in a way that like that mirror breaking really is her transformation and her death you know okay that makes more sense (laughs) yeah so that's really cool i mean i'm also kind of like looking at it in like in that tarot reading way, For but sure. I mean, it's it's, it's along the. I would say, yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. Can we talk about the dude um, like, swallowing frogs? <laughs> oh, that's actually interesting. Like there was. Um... Did he actually do that? Well, I mean, oh yeah, like, yes. performers. Oh yeah. For sure. actually that. that wasn't an actor at all. They were actually just like walking on really? the street, and like all those street shots are real. Like they didn't close off the that's street. Sick. Like. That's the whole thing with the French New Wave is like they they uh, finally had these cameras that were more easily yeah, held, so they were able to like go out in the street and Love film. And so that's what Varda so did. Yeah, most of the people there weren't actors, um, and the people that were acting were all her friends. That's one thing I really wanted to tell you guys. That's so funny. So Antoine, the guy at the end, is actually Varda's ex-husband, no who she had a child oh my with. God. And the child, her child, Rosalie, who I love, I actually talked to Rosalie a little bit. Um, Yeah, uh, like on, Rosalie is like free for anybody to talk to. She like loves talking to people online. So it's not like a boast at all. But um, Rosalie was like three years old at the time and she like hits up her ex-husband to play this role. And his real name is Antoine. And then, Dorothy was a friend of hers that did a short film with her before and her real name is Dorothy and like a lot of the people even some of the strangers in like the cafe they purposely put there and they were like friends that she would just like call up and be like hey I'm gonna have you like sit down and say this one thing but other than that completely strangers that's cool which is really cool that's awesome that was one thing that kept on being um kind of hammered in the French cinema class I took was that there's like the topical theme. So the theme in the movie that has to do with that specific time and culture of Paris in the sixties. Like that was an entire theme of the movie, according to the professor for that class, they could be wrong. I don't know, <laughs> but it, it does make sense. Cause like Paris in the 1960s, all those street performers, the constant references to the Algerian war, that's like endlessly there. And it really, fits the setting properly and it was there for those young audience members and those young filmmakers to like properly situate themselves in those stories and so i'm glad i really like that you mentioned that jesus even though it is a weird moment that's not really relevant but it's it's still like a fun moment to think that like that's all very real stuff that you would be seeing if you were there at that time so so wait the dude Swallowing frogs. He did, just, he did swallow a frog. He it's was real. Accidentally standing there with a frog in his mouth. Yeah. yeah. Seems like it. Yeah, that was like common, I guess. And then there was the guy who uh who stuck like a screwdriver through his arm or something. Yeah. We get a very cl- like quick glimpse of it, and then Cleo's like, no, and she like runs away. Yeah, I remember that now. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah, but that's also like another thing about Varda that's like really great it's another part that i really love about her is that she's always in every film to some extent like mixing documentary and narrative filmmaking um like even in this film i mean in this film and her first film um in all her films there's a certain extent of like incorporating real people and she'll usually film with something handheld so she can like not be noticed as much and like She's always, yeah, she's always like trying to incorporate a little, a little bit of realness. And then in all of her documentaries, she's incorporating like a little bit of narrative. And um, that's one thing that I love about her so much. And I think that's the reason why I'm like so drawn to her. Like 
not only as a filmmaker, but like as a person and as an artist is that she has like so much love for people. And I think that's like her number one um, like aspect in her art is that she, um, she, she has this like deep love and like inspiration that comes from strangers and comes from the city that she lived in or lives in at the current time. And, um, and you see that with this film, like with her filming people on the street, I love that those shots where it's like all those people walking towards the camera and they're like looking at her, but they're really just looking at Agnes with a camera, like filming them straight on. And like, there's no, there's no like judgment. She has no judgment for anybody that she's films, whether they're strangers or not. She just lets them like be human. And I think that that's like perfect, the perfect film for anybody who wants to start getting to know Agnes Varda, because like in this film, it's literally talking about looking out into the world and seeing people and connecting with people. And that's like her whole like thing. And that's the whole reason I love her. So this film is like quintessential for talking about Varda. Absolutely. And I'm- There, I rambled That's again. perfectly fine. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> I'm curious though, you would definitely know the answer to this. Um, was she already, very famous at that point when she was making Cleo from five to seven because if she was I'm surprised that she was able to get those street shots down if she was because she was obviously there behind the camera at all times so if she was like how was like was she famous enough for people to kind of stop and stare really thing that the only thing that really upsets me about the other guys in the French New Wave like Francois Truffaut and Jean-Luc Godard is that Agnes was not really taken seriously at all in the beginning of her career. Um, I think she brought this, I don't know if it was this film or if it was her second, third film. Um, she would like bring it to Jean-Luc Godard and he, Jean-Luc Godard is actually in this film. I don't know if you saw was, that. What is he looking He's like? in the short film. Oh, he was in the short, okay, I knew that. I forgot about that. He was in the yeah. short film. Him and Anna Karin Karinina. Anna Karinina. <laughs> um, but anyway, they didn't really take her seriously back then because she was a woman and like- Disrespectful. She, yeah, yeah, yeah basically because she was a woman because the thing is like her films were so good and they were so like French New Wave. So I don't really know why people didn't like pick it up and like, you know, uh, embrace her work at the time. But um, I think that that's the reason why she was able to get these shots and the reason why in her whole career, she's been able to kind of like go into different communities with her handheld camera and meet people and connect with people because they've never seen her as like a famous filmmaker. And even in her, like when she was older, she did that film Faces Places with JR, the photographer. And they traveled around Europe, I believe, like meeting people. And I didn't watch that film yet, but um, even into her later career, people didn't really, I don't know if many people really took her super seriously um, until like the end of her life. Yeah, when and she released that now, one after film, passing. Varda by Agnes, I think it was called. That's when like, I at least mm. I saw more of her in popular culture, like show up. Yeah. And especially when she passed, I mean, I remember everyone in the filmmaking community being like, this is heartbreaking because it is. And she is like, I just wish, I don't know. I wish she got more recognition for being the mother of the French new wave because um, she, her films, her first film came out before like anybody started making films. I think before even like 400 blows i'm not sure when that came out but i know a lot of people yeah. say 400 blows is like the beginning of the french it new was... wave but i would argue that she came first i, I don't remember when the 400 blows came out was it 19 like 49 i'm gonna look, I'll look it up yeah um but yeah like for sure like uh agnes is from the rive gauche mm -hmm. so like the left bank of like the french new wave filmmakers and like they at least to me, just because in what I've like studied in classes are lesser known. Cause like, of course they focus on Truffaut and Godard because they were like part of like the Cahiers du Cinema, which is like the, the biggest like French public French film publication at the time. And so everyone was like 
going in towards them, but then everyone else, the other ones who are like politically engaged, like Varda, uh, Alain René, who I think did the rules of the game. I, if I'm, I might, I might be mistaken with that, but like they, at least I, I've read less of them or discussed less about them in classes that I've had. It's just kind of been focused on the other ones, which is unfortunate. Like, yes, the other ones are good filmmakers as well. They made great films. Breathless is amazing. I haven't seen the 400 blows, but it's supposed to be fantastic. But like, that's not the only ones there for sure. Another, I actually want to talk about one other uh, uh, female French filmmaker who is not from the French New Wave, but like kind of talking about uh, women in the industry who were not really praised as much. There's this uh, filmmaker, her name was Germaine Zulac, and she made this short film that I watched for uh, this class that I had. and. I absolutely love this short film. It well, it's considered a short film, but it's 54 minutes long, so it's not that short. But it's called uh, "La Souriante Madame Baudet" or "The Smiling Madame Baudet," and it's an impressionist film, which is like super interesting because it's like that painting style, and you get so many interesting themes and topics that you don't get in any other type of cinema because it's. A woman behind the camera it's a woman editing it and it's considered like one of the first feminist films and it's fantastic on all regards there's so many different political points that you can take from it and i couldn't be absolutely wrong but i could definitely see Zulak being some sort of inspiration to varda at some point in her life just because she was somewhat well known but also we got recommended this short film from Zulak out of nowhere for this French cinema class. And it was one off. We never heard anything else about her. So clearly she was forgotten, which is so unfortunate. But yeah, that's my tangent. Uh, if, if you can, it's on YouTube, actually, the full 54 minute short film. La Souriante Madame Baudet. Anybody go give it a watch. It's very interesting to see all the different techniques that are used. It's like the beginnings of a bunch of different film styles like superimposing shots over one another using the iris lenses and stuff like that it was like one of the first attempts of like testing it out and stuff it was really it was really cool to see and this came before oh yeah Marta, this was 23 1923 oh wow wow okay i i haven't heard about her or that short film at all so that's kind of exciting i'll have to I'll have to check that out. But I'm sure, I mean, Varda was such a feminist, yeah. you know, so I'm sure, I'm sure she was inspired by um, that filmmaker because there were so many, so few filmmakers and so few, or so few female filmmakers yeah. and so few female artists that got recognition back then. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if like somewhere in Varda's work, you can see a little bit of a inspiration from that i mean at least i would hope so just because i hope that Zulak was recognized by other people in the field later and even after she passed away that would be good to know because it was such mm -hmm. like it that that short film really did kind of it left a it, it's an impressionist film and it left a big impression on me it's like that's kind of sounds stupid but it, it really did um it's just really nice on all levels and it is like a silent film but you can still watch it and get all the proper emotions out of it and a lot of short films not short films sorry a lot of silent films sometimes like struggled with that when it comes to like subtle acting because like a lot of silent films it was just theatrical because it was theater actors that went into film and then they were just exaggerating every emotion that they could to get it caught on on camera but like with Zulak everything is just so nuanced such a perfect way that okay I'm, I'm just gonna stop talking about that we can go back to Cleo now <laughs> I but, keep I keep nodding no, and agreeing with you not... like if people can hear me <laughs> nodding but <laughs> we can just put subtitle uh Jesus <laughs> nodding Nod. yeah 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 I'll say that too <laughs> 
Yeah, well, that's really interesting. I'm definitely going to have to check out her work. I, I made a note of it um, because, I mean, that's also interesting because I, I, whenever I think of films from the 1920s, that's like, I would imagine they're very controlled because nobody yeah. could, like, that's the whole French New Wave thing is that cameras became accessible to people that never thought they could be filmmakers. So it's interesting to think about a woman getting her hands on the on the camera in the 1920s. That's like mind boggling. So yeah, like that she's the only I mean, yeah. uh, woman filmmaker that I've heard of from that far back. I'm I, there's one that's kind of slipping my mind who was the first uh, woman filmmaker. It might actually be her, but I think that there's one that was before her. But like just still seeing that it is surprising. It's great to see though, because it was a fantastic product that she came out with with La Souriante, Madame Boulette. But like, yeah, I mean, it's just really good. Uh, that's all I can say, really. There's nothing much else to it. Well, I mean, to piggyback back off that, um, like, uh, considering like Cleo and like I don't know if was that film that you were talking about did you did you mention that it was kind of like a feminist oh, yeah. film or was it it just was made by oh, no, a was, woman it was considered no, one of the first that. feminist films or the first oh, okay yeah well I mean um, that's another thing about Agnes that I wonder I wonder why I wonder if that's partly why her films were so suppressed is that she was like very feminist and very political and she has this wonderful quote that is like uh i tried to be a peaceful feminist but i was very angry and um so a lot of her films and especially cleo is it just has these extremely feminist themes i mean like we were talking about how it's it's like they're talking about the male gaze before people even knew what the male gaze was in cinema and um, a lot about beauty, I think, is, like, the one of the biggest um, themes in the film is, like, there's that quote where Cleo is saying, like, if I'm beautiful, I'm alive. And then she kind of realizes that that's not who she is, but it's, like, so ingrained in her in the first half of the film. Um, and I think there was one quote from Varda that I found that's, I mean... Varda is so French, it's really hard to understand what she's saying when she's speaking in English, but um, she said this one thing that was like, the day women started to look for them, look for themselves to other people, to other things, to landscapes, to the streets, um, when they're not organizing themselves through others, gaze upon them, was like what she was trying to say in the story. Um, and... I mean, in a lot of her films, she, like, continues this idea. Like, I don't know if you're familiar with One Sings, The Other Doesn't. I think I know it. Um, I haven't seen it, though. That's another one that's, like, very feminist. Like, <laughs> there's one of them sings, The Other Doesn't. And the one that sings, like, will sing these feminist songs. And it's, like, <laughs> it's, like, my body is mine. I can do what I want with my body. <laughs> and it's, like, all these nice. lyrics, like, written by Agnes. And I mean, that's what I, I think that's why I'm so attracted to her too, is that, you know, like despite feminism being like kind of suppressed at the time, she was like so vocal. And in this film, like so vocal, she's just like, yeah, I love women. These are women's problems. I'm going to put them out there. And if you don't like them, you don't have to like watch my film, I guess. And they didn't. So <laughs> it's like one thing that I noticed that I thought was so funny like when I finally caught it and it's like dang Agnes like you really did that to him that's <laughs> perfect because it was right after the moment when uh Clea leaves her apartment after the 45 minute mark so she's already in the section when she's now gazing on everybody else and gazing on the world instead of having it be gazed on her and she's walking just outside of her apartment or like in that strange complex area behind the gate and there's like a little boy playing on the little toy piano just as that other man was playing on the actual piano in the apartment i was like 
dang, you're really like, that was so clear. You're calling those men up in the apartment children. And that's how they were acting, yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. That is just so funny, so perfectly. Under the radar rose. It like literally just flamed those characters and well deserved because they were like acting ridiculously as like towards the end of those scenes. So it's, I was just like, dang, Varda, you really, you really just did that without any nuance, just so direct. And I loved it. Uh, so funny. I mean, that's another uh, thing about Barda that's like you you can definitely see throughout her films is she has this like sense of humor that is like perfect for filmmaking because it it's the sense of humor that's like calling back things or making fun of things. Like that's so perfect, that example of her like making fun. And Michelle Legrand is the uh, the guy on the piano okay. who is also the guy who did the score. Oh, and Wow. Yeah, and he was he was her good friend. Okay. So it's so easy for her to just like make oh, fun of him so or like with Jean-Luc Godard in the short film. That whole short film was based off of her making fun of him for his glasses. Cause she was like, Your whole identity is attached to your glasses. Why don't you ever take off your glasses? And she was like, Okay, I'll write a short film about your glasses. And so there's all these little jokes where she's like really just making fun of her friends and like having fun with oh, her like, friends in the midst of a film. Yeah. You know, even like, it's is it not funny that her ex-husband is playing the love interest yeah. in the film? I, yeah, you know? that, that gives you a more uh, another sense of like, she made the movie because she wanted to. And it's it's her movie, you know, like, like this she is what I want to be. And that's, like, and that's what she did with the, with the thing. She really uh, put a lot of herself into the movie. That's what I noticed. Yeah, totally. And that's like sweet little, almost loving humor. Like, like I would, I, I can only imagine like being her friend or being her ex-husband at the time. There's like a little bit of that since she's so loving, um, you know, her, her humor and her like kidding around is totally excused because she means it in such a like connecting like loving way you know like she's like i'm gonna be very honest with you your your glasses are out <laughs> get them out you know and it's funny too because then i think in faces places she had a conversation with jr the photographer he always has glasses on just like jean-luc godard and it's like i think she called him out for the same thing she was like your identity is attached to your glasses like and then I think he called her out because I don't know if you guys have seen pictures of what she looks like when she's older, but she has this ridiculous hair. I, I, it's I like, I have to just take another look though. You have to look it up because it's so funny. It's like half white and half red. And it's like my length, like shoulder oh, yeah. length. Okay. And she looks like a mushroom. It's like, yeah, like hilarious. The, uh, called the, the, the mushroom from, uh, from Mario. Toad? Yeah. <laughs> She looks like Toad. And she wears these clothes that almost like accentuate her shortness. Because uh -huh. she's just like a tiny little old woman. And like, I don't know how tall she is. I just know that she's tiny because she likes to talk about how tiny she is. Oh my goodness. <laughs> these are just, oh, these are so fun to see. This is a fit though. I'm going to put an image up like on the video version of the podcast. This is, the that's fit a, is fire. It's a great. <laughs> outfit on a red carpet too damn perfect it's, i'll I drop know. it in the discord right now but it's i heard on another podcast about her that i was listening to that they were like i wish i could shout them out but i don't remember they were like uh agnes would be the perfect like costume if if you were with people who knew she, mm -hmm. she was right. but she's just such a character like on her own yeah, I just, the photo yeah. I just dropped in, it looks like pajamas, but it's like she's on a red carpet. It's like, that is so great. And David just responded with hard eyes. That's, oh, that's funny. But, oh man. Yeah, that's, it's so good. And you probably know the answer to this though, Kendra. Do the one person who I would think in the film is also one of Varda's friends. The taxi driver like towards the end does she know him like was she friends with him or was it just like a hired actor i don't, i don't know i don't know about her okay. 
Like um, I know that Agnes hasn't really talked about the taxi okay. driver. Because the taxi driver, like, I, assume... I always like, I just thought he was like, the way that it was kind of shot around him, it was almost kind of goofy. In Wait, are we talking about the, oh, I thought there was a okay, woman no, I'm not talking in about, the. Oh yeah, the woman taxi driver at the beginning. I'm talking about the guy that's driving uh, Cleo and her friend, I think Dorothy. Like. At the, oh. towards the end of the film like right before he she meets Antoine I have no okay. idea yeah you got me on one thing I don't know <laughs> hey, there you go <laughs> starting to feel it back yeah I'm not sure who that is I mean I can only imagine if he's an actor it's somebody okay. she knows because this is also a really low budget like extremely low budget film and that's actually like how the film was made in okay. a lot of ways like she was like, how do I make, I only have so much money. They're only giving me so much money. So how do I make this cheap? And she was like, okay, well, I could make it a film that's technically from five to seven. They really shot like five to six thirty, I think. Mm -hmm. um, because then that would like, that would uh, make it easier and a quicker shoot, even though it was a more hectic shoot. And they were like, oh, we'll shoot on this one street in France because then we don't have to pay to like, bring people places and um right. so and then i think that a lot of the people being her friends as actors is just kind of another way for her to save money because like i don't know what she paid them but i'm sure i'm sure they were happy to be there you know because they had done films with her before i mean i don't know if i if i was agnes's friend and she was like you want to be in my movie i'd be like yes <laughs> like immediately she could have easily so. just paid them with bottles of tequila like what i did for the camera guy in the one short film that i've made oh, wait, <laughs> something easy like that oh yeah i super low budget short film that i i made for like my university film festival 30 dollar bottle of tequila is all that i spent on it nice spend a cent a single cent more so was the movie filmed in one day i don't think okay. so because because I know if you actually pay attention to the clocks in the film, they're all on time. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so I think that they filmed different sequences on different days so the time could be cohesive. Because that was one like really um, specific thing that was important to her is that she wanted all the clocks when she's going around the city to be on time. But that's impossible, of mm -hmm. course, because they had to like set up certain things. And there is like cuts and stuff. That is no. actually a very cool aspect that I think she brought to it, though, because it's like Cleo from five I to seven, and it's literally it's, it's supposed fun. to be taking place in real time as you're watching it. That's like such a neat. Mm. Although it is only ninety minutes, so I don't. Where did the thirty minutes go? That took you. You know, it just sounded better. I think it was it was actually like five to six thirty, but like who's gonna say five to six thirty? Yeah, five to seven just rolls off the tongue, you know. Maybe those so. thirty minutes was just uh, we just spent her walking. She's a she's a slow walker. <laughs> she is a slow walker. <laughs> that's another thing about the pacing yeah. of the movie. It was um, it was really it was it was slow, you know, like it was uh, but I feel like it was made intentional because like. It's from five to seven. Like, like you're sitting through almost the entire time that this is happening. Like, you're just sitting there watching. It. Like, that's 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 what the entire thing is, basically. Yeah, and it's like not, and it's slow in like a good way though, because it's like you yeah, really yeah, get no, to like no, no. drag I don't, I don't out. Say, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, it's, I, yeah. I know that you meant it in a good way. I know you didn't mean it badly, but like it really. Oh, it's slow. Every little thought, every like little emotion that Cleo could have in that situation, it's just. Well, I mean, one thing I was going to say about uh, that, like, conversation about the the time in the film is that I know that one of the things that Bardo was trying to kind of play around with was this idea of, like, objective versus subjective time. And so, like, you know, objective time is, like, the time on the clock and subjective time is, like, how you can be talking to somebody an hour feels like it goes by in, like, 20 minutes. Yeah. And so... And every, gosh, she's so like particular in this film, which is so crazy to me because I feel like in all of her other films, she's so lax. Um, but she said this one thing, like every step that 
Cleo took, she wanted it to like actually be how many steps. If Cleo needed to take six steps, they wouldn't cut like you do in a normal movie. Like they they followed her through everything. I, you know, I think there are parts where like she's walking down the stairs and it cuts and cuts and cuts. Yeah. But I, I think that might've been a joke where she was like, well, there's five extra steps and we'll just do five that extra cuts to make up for those that's steps. That's actually one moment I want to talk about because it is, I feel like it could be a joke, honestly. Because uh, Goda, who, like you said, is one of her friends, like he was in that short film in Cleo from 5 to 7, in his movie Breathless, actually in Cleo from 5 to 7, there's a few moments that I think are making fun or just kind of hinting at Godard's style too. Um, I'm just checking to see Surprise. when Breathless came out. Okay, yeah, Breathless came out before Cleo, so this does make sense. So, for example, like the moment in the taxi mm. with all the shots like taken from the back seat in the taxi, looking out like towards the end of the film, when like the second taxi she's in, that is so reminiscent of the sequence in Breathless where they're in a taxi and it's shot in the exact same way, and you get the exact same perspectives just in a different seat because what's where Cleo's sitting instead of where the characters in Breathless are sitting, but also. In Breathless, there's so many jump cuts, which is what Varda used in going down the stairs. Like it, it's like a repeated cut of like the same exact action over and over again. There's so many cuts, jump cuts in Breathless as well, which was done just because Truff no, not Truffaut, Godard wanted to save time. Because he was like, this movie's too long, I have to make a bunch of these jump cuts, and so he would do that. And watching breathless for a class we instead of just considering it as oh he did this for time we just took a bunch of analysis out of it and came up with meanings for it when there isn't really so i feel like Varda yeah possibly even put those like that's the only moment she has it so i feel like it could be making fun of uh breathless for that and then like people at least in classes i've taken even took so much emphasis on that specific five second scene and tried to pull like a whole presentation's worth of, of like analysis from the jump cut usage. But it's like, it, I don't know. It could just be making fun of Godard. Who knows? Wasn't it the French New Wave that was known for like, um, for when they first brought in like jump cuts and stuff? I so think like, so. Like, it wasn't really something that was widely used at the time. Uh, so they were kind of figuring out how it went. So, like, there's a lot of sections where jump cuts are kind of like, shoved in and it it seems a little jarring at the like while you're watching it it's like what <laughs> it could be that yeah that might make sense too but then again the music also it could have just been that the i forget the name that you said was it michelle or marcel who's the person yeah michelle okay <laughs> if he like wrote the score it's possible that like because that specific moment when she's going down the stairs, it's like a dis like the piano is just constantly descending, and it could have been that he just wrote it too long too. <laughs> oh yeah, you know that's what I was thinking because you were saying how like Jean Luc Godard used the jump cuts to like shorten the ride. I wonder if Varda, like knowing her humor and knowing her like relationship with Godard, which is very like you know witty and like uh, bantery. Um, I would I would wonder if she was just like oh well I'll just reverse it and I'll use it to like extend because that's you know I wouldn't see I wouldn't see why she would use it to um, to sh like shorten it because that's it like longer. she would didn't do that in that movie yeah exactly so it would make sense if she was like oh I have to extend this because I mean gotta hit that forty five mark like the clock's at five oh five I need five more seconds you know. Um, so I, that's an interesting thing that I never, I never even thought about it. Just kind of was like, oh, French New Wave, we do the jump cuts, whatever, you know? <laughs> yeah, but that's like, for sure. There's just one, like, of many things are just like, if you miss it, then it's gone. But it's like, it, it could be like an entire, like, story or reasoning as to why she added that in there. And that's like, what is so cool. Like, there's, of course, a ton of filmmakers that do stuff like that that's like so minute details in every little sequence but it's like interesting to think about because it's like oh like what you were saying earlier about like having that painting in multiple scenes that was like inspired the film like nobody 
would have caught that on caught on to that if they didn't hear that in a documentary if they didn't listen to interviews and stuff so it's like if once you learn that stuff it's like it, it's like easter eggs without being easter eggs and that's like what's really fun yeah like uh, like special features within the movie there you go she did a director's commentary of Cleo from five to seven <laughs> the, the movie would be like twice as long oh my god yeah that would be so good. Well, she did do a um, like a follow up short film, and I was telling Andre about this like before the podcast, where she brings back all the people, or not all the people, but most of the people that were in the film. Corinne Marchard, I think Marchard is the the woman who played Cleo or Florence, um, uh, and uh Antoine comes back Dorothy the best friend comes back and like several other people I don't I think Michelle Legrand might have been long gone but um and I know the uh the DPs come back and talk with her and so that's probably the closest thing to like a commentary but it's really sweet because she like visits the old places and kind of like talks about some of the stories behind it and talks with the people um and like Corinne like walks down that staircase that she walks down in the film when she's about to meet Antoine and she's talking about how like as an actress it's always your dream to scale downstairs dancing and singing and um they have they she has Antoine and Corinne sit in the same um the same park by the hospital and talk and um one thing that I you know I think is just such a sweet story um is that after she released the film, somebody reached out to her and told her that they had seen the film and they had an experience before they saw the film where they were waiting at that same hospital to find out if their wife was going to die or not, I think. And they were sitting in that same park and they like sent Varda a letter or something where they they said something like, you know, that park is just a park of death to me because she died there. And seeing this film and seeing these two lovers together at the end with this with this ending that's so, like, we don't know what's going to happen because Antoine is going to go back to the war. He's facing a possibility of death. And or Florence Cleo is facing this chemotherapy that's so casual that I'm, like, worried, yeah. you know? Like, is she really going to die? Is she really going to live? Um, and, uh, first for this person, at least like them, them having such a personal experience with that specific place, it was, I I think Varda said something like it's, it's so almost rewarding, um, that my story is like really not my own, you know, like somebody has this such like this deep personal connection with my film that I had no idea about. So like you can make a film and, and not even know that. It's, I think I'm totally rambling. I don't know what I started with and when I started talking about this. But, um, yeah. I had, a, I had a question actually that I wanted to bring up. Um, the movie was released in 1962, right? Yeah. yeah uh, or April, April 11th. Yeah. So, colored movies did, did exist in the 60s. It was completely possible. So, do you think the lack of color was an artistic choice or she was just definitely broke? definitely <laughs> both <laughs> um i'm broke because, so i'm gonna make so an artsy if, thing right I, you know so um the the beginning of the film where with the tarot cards was yeah, in oh, color. yeah that's true, i don't know that's if true, you yes. caught that so i think the reason that she well she, in her own words the reason that she used color for that is because um she felt like color, since it was so rare at the time and it was more expensive to film in color and she didn't have a lot of money, she was like, okay, so color is kind of more of this like magical, like fairy tale kind of thing. And the tarot cards like had kind of a magical element. Agnes didn't like believe in tarot cards and she kind of was just like, you know, this is like this wooey magical thing. Whereas Cleo is living in reality. And I, I wonder why it like, I'm sure the reason she didn't play with that color black and white thing more is probably because of money. Yeah. Um, but I think the the if if you don't think about the money aspect of it, I think the reason for the black and white is that 
Varda felt like that was that was like reality. Like reality is black and white, and then magical. Because you know, like uh, if she really, really wanted to add a color, I think she would have. Like you, you, I think you, she you could have found you could have found one way or another to kind of shove in some uh, some some color in that movie. So yeah, I, yeah, I think you make a pretty pretty good point that uh, the 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 colorless, the black and white was entirely like artistic for that reason. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. I think Agnes, if she wanted to put color in there again, yeah, yeah, she, she she's the type to be like, I'm gonna put this is I'm gonna do yeah, what I want. I mean, like if she <laughs> if she managed to get most of like if not all of the clocks in the movie to be on the same time i'm pretty sure she could have pulled some some strings to get a mm. <laughs> to get a little bit of color especially with friends like Godot yeah, and good stuff thing. like that who have yeah. more of a pull yeah unfortunately had more of a pull at that time she probably mm. knew a guy who knew a guy that could probably that could have yeah. get some get something in there yeah, she had a way of doing that from what I could tell. Like, she had, like, this low budget, but then was like, oh, exactly. Like, we have to make sure all the clocks are on time, and we have yeah, to, you know, make sure she takes all the steps. Mm -hmm. And uh, another funny thing that she did was, I never even noticed this, and I watched it again, and I, I just forgot about it and didn't notice it. Apparently that last, it's not the last shot, but at the end of the film where the, the car is driving away from Cleo and Antoine, um like really quickly mm. that was on a dolly oh. and apparently in that oh. shot at the end of the shot you can see the dolly and no one notices it huh. um i didn't notice it either or the dolly track yeah no one okay. notices it but agnes was like oh no <laughs> it's in like the, yeah. i'm such a perfectionist i have to go back and she tried to shoot the whole thing mm -hmm. over again but the actors like weren't in it anymore because it was like months Dang. later yes. and so she was like well i guess i just have to keep the yeah. old thing but she spent all this money on reshooting it only to use the old one. Yeah. Um, That's, huh. So it's funny, like that. That speaks to like she. If she wanted to put more color in yeah, it, she would. Yeah. Like if she wants to shoot that scene again that no one really like notices a flaw in, she'll shoot it again, <laughs> even if it costs an arm and a leg. You know. Sure. All right. I think we can. Yeah. Uh, close it off here. Um, shit. I don't know how to f close this off. Um. Oh, maybe we could. <laughs>